Hello, welcome to Dementia Caregivers Community. I am your host, Tracy Wilson with Alzheimer's Tennessee. Along with me today, our wonderful co-host, Marquita Puckett, a family caregiver, and just a plethora of information. Let's just go ahead and throw that out there. So we are so happy you can join us today with a very interesting topic, we think. It's in a group of episodes that we're calling Difficult Discussions and Decisions. Today, we are going to be discussing behavioral expressions, what they are, what they look like, and some tips and tricks that we can use to intervene, things that we should be on the lookout for, because those discussions lead to pretty big decisions sometimes. Right, Marquita? Yes, Tracy. It is such a broad topic, but we just hope to be able to just give a few bits of information and encouragement and maybe some resources or just some affirmation of what you're going through is even though it doesn't feel normal at all, it is normal for this disease. And when I was thinking about behavioral expressions or behavior in individuals living with dementia, it can look, Tracy, as you know, anywhere from enduring to quirky to annoying actually to threatening or dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so as caregivers, especially if it's a family member, I know with myself and I found myself having to deal with some embarrassment with some things that my dad and my husband, some behavioral expressions they had. And then I would just get in such conflict of the guilt, and the shame, because I was embarrassed of someone that means so much to me. And if we're being real honest, Tracy, I think that's why sometimes some family members have to walk away because of that conflict. They feel so embarrassed how their loved one is acting that and they can't handle all of the conflict. They think they should be able to do better. They mm-hmm. should be able to handle it, handle mm-hmm. it better. Mm-hmm. But and that creates a lot of wear and tear on a caregiver when they're trying to deal with that emotional upheaval on the inside of them. Again, it causes stress. And that stress is caused by the behavior of someone else who cannot help their right. behavior. Right. And so finding a solution sometimes can help that particular behavior that that individual might be displaying. But the behavior may never go away. It can get worse. Or you may not even have to deal with certain behaviors. So I just hope you can investigate that today and Just one more thought that came to me was as a teacher, whenever I would have to have parent-teacher conferences, and that word behavior would come up in that conference. Yep. (laughs) I want to go to the label of good or bad. Yes. Johnny is such a good student or Johnny is a bad student. Yes. And that would never come out of my mouth. But instead, I would try to put it in the framework of, you know, Johnny's behavior is conducive to his learning or Johnny's behavior challenges his learning. And I thought that's pretty much the same how it is with these individuals living with dementia. Their behaviors can challenge that caregiver to the point of exhaustion, mm-hmm. or it can be doable. Mm-hmm. We, it can be doable. And just to give you one little example of that is Mike, my husband, when after I had to place him in memory care, I'm not saying this is for everyone, but I chose to still go see him every day. And For the longest time when he would see me across the room, now at this point he couldn't talk, he couldn't say my name, but when he would see me across the room, his behavior was that he would sort of jump up and down and get all excited like a little boy. 
And to me, that was enduring. Was it the Mike Puckett that I knew and loved when I married? No, he would never jump up and down across the room when he saw me coming. <laughs> I mean, we would exchange glances, but no, no jumping up and down and, and all of that. There might have been a little bit of jumping up and down. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I can understand if his adult children would have seen that, it could have embarrassed them seeing their dad react that way to seeing this woman across the room. So Tracy, I hope that you can shed some light, some education, some encouragement, and thank you for approaching this broad subject. Well, you know, to be totally transparent, when we started a couple of years ago, actually sitting down and plotting out episodes and in our minds thinking, okay, if a person did sit down, just let's throw this out there and say, if a person did sit down and start listening to them from beginning to end, whenever that may be, is there, would there be a helpful order so to speak, that would be good for a person to kind of get the material in an order if they were just beginning on the journey. And so uh, we kind of threw that out <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty quickly after doing it, because I tell you, to be honest, you where you were living with your husband in that moment of assisted living and memory care, and then through Alzheimer's Tennessee and all of the support groups we facilitate both in person and online, this is what people want to know. This is what people struggle with. This is what people are concerned about before it even begins to happen. So that's actually where I would like to, to begin is that there may not be a beginning for your loved one, for your journey. Many things come into play with that. We'll talk about some of them a little later, but Every person living with a dementia subtype is not going to be a behavioral expression type progression person. But, you know, as with many things in life, you were talking about little Johnny. It's very funny how little Johnny in school type things always gets in really big trouble. It's always little Johnny that's doing this or little Johnny that's doing that. I don't know where this came from, honestly. I would love to be able to maybe trace it back and see where the origins came from. But in the 25 years that I've been doing my job, and, and I hesitate to even call it a job, it's a, it's a passion. The 25 years that I've been doing my job and in this career, I will tell you that the majority of people that I speak to for the very first time are very concerned before we even have legal or financial things taken care of. They're very concerned about those potential behavioral expressions that can come up. And they do not happen with every person living with a dementia subtype. So I want to start off there first. I think the the books that we read, the movies that have a dementia plot in them or television shows or helpful friends that have that have tried to be helpful and tried to prepare you for what may be coming down the road. Now hear me well when I say it doesn't hurt at all to be prepared. There's many things that we need to be proactive about instead of reactive. But a lot of times, well-intentioned people give us 
kind of the, the, I hate to say the worst case scenarios of what, what has happened in their life. And, and they're just trying to help. I can say that with several of my family members who experienced dementia subtypes, there were some behavioral expressions, but let me, let us start off first by saying it isn't a given it isn't a guaranteed and it isn't a for certain. So starting off there. And then if we are seeing some of those things, it always 100% of the time makes perfect sense to rule out any acute medical issue that may be occurring for the individual. So some of them, if, if a person out there is wondering what would some of those look like, I think maybe some increased restlessness, anxiety. A lot of people use the word agitation when it comes to certain tasks like personal care. So a person needing to have a brief change or maybe a person that we're assisting in the shower or with shaving or brushing teeth, any of those types of things. So first, stepping back and say that, especially in regard to personal care, I see a lot of individuals living with dementia subtypes who are quote unquote fine, very even keeled, have a wonderful temperament, a delight to be around and to talk to until personal care has to be done or needs to be done. So one of the things that I've done for years, nursing home in-services, assisted living and memory care in-services, in-home non-medical in-services, is I will bring a chair up front and ask for a volunteer. And you know how that goes usually. (laughs) So sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it doesn't. But I kind of, you know, wait around a couple of minutes and try to make a fairly big production of it and say we can't move on till we get a volunteer. And then we will get a person who eventually succumbs to the peer pressure and they come up and volunteer. And if it's a woman, I will say, okay, if you don't mind, if you will take your clothes off, you can leave on your bra and underwear. And if it's a gentleman, I'll say, okay, you can strip down, just leave your underwear on and we're going to demonstrate a shower. And you can imagine. what happens next right yeah yeah but we expect them to do it we expect them to do it with no question with no qualms and what Mm -hmm. about a dementia diagnosis strips a person of their dignity exactly exactly Mm -hmm. yeah trace just i thought too i read one time what you were saying about telling them to take all their clothes off and all that And they said in this book, what we forget is muscle memory. And what we don't realize is whether we bathe or whether we shower, we probably have done it the same way for X and X amount of years. Mm -hmm. For instance, I started paying attention. I start with my right hand bathing my left side of my body first, my Mm -hmm. left arm first. Mm -hmm. So that person that we're trying to bathe or shower is exactly their muscle memory is Mm -hmm. used to that. Mm -hmm. We don't know. So we do something totally just the opposite. Plus tell them to get naked. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) And there's no one in this world 
that would want to do that willingly. In the 25 years I've been doing this, I've had one person that began to do it, which I I think he was just kind of pulling my legs. So I had to say, no, wait, stop, stop, stop. Don't do that. So he called me on my bluff. So I think a lot of times my whole point with that specific thing, and I think something that you and I have had conversations about in the past is sometimes a behavioral expression is appropriate. It's extremely appropriate. And that person is just expressing themselves. That's why we we call them behavioral expressions instead of behaviors or agitated behaviors. Or for the longest time, we would hear the terminology combative behaviors. Well, my gosh, who wants to be thought of like that? Or, you know, who wants to be caring or loving someone who's thought about that? So we have to be very, very careful with labels. I also know as having been a family caregiver, am not currently, but in my past, you know, when you're exhausted, things slip out and things happen. So let's Fine. just start off by saying nobody's perfect. And when you're sleep deprived and, and we've answered the same question multiple times, you know, everyone is going to hit their limit at some point. But some of the behavioral expressions are truly nothing more than taking something, breaking it down, making it more manageable and getting buy-in, so to speak. I'm sure that a lot of people that are listening to us have also heard and listened to one of my amazing mentors. It's someone I say I aspire to be when I grow up, and that's Tipa Snow. And she is absolutely positively amazing. And she talks a lot about and demonstrates a lot. She's been to speak for us numerous times, that you include them in all of the things that we can. Because as you mentioned before, that muscle memory typically is there and still very solid. So many times they can just kind of break in and start doing some of it themselves. And then we're not doing all of those things to them. We're doing it with them, which makes a huge difference. Getting the idea of the feelings behind the expressions versus this is what's happening and and what do we do? Many times there's a reason behind it. We just may not be able to see it. So I speak to a lot of families, both through our helpline, through support groups, through emails, actually through text messages. That's very popular now. And I will say that most people, when you sit down, not all the time, but many times when you sit down with a person or they start talking it through, they can see some commonalities that maybe they didn't see before, whether it's a person, whether it's a food sometimes, whether it's a time of the lunar cycle. I know that sounds absolutely way out there, but you ask any person in healthcare about the lunar cycle and they immediately know what you're talking about. So just all of those types of things. And sometimes the person, if you're if you're a family member and that person is still in your care, you know that person well. Mm-hmm. And if you'll just watch the behavioral expression and look at even at what time that you'll you could sometimes you can see a consistent pattern is what yes. I'm trying to say yes like man this time every day yes I don't understand it but mm-hmm. if you really just can take a wink and, and Tracy thank you for showing grace to our listeners you are tired 
Mm-hmm. You're wore out. Mm-hmm. You're like, would would he or she please just stop? Mm-hmm. Just give me a break. But mm-hmm. sometimes if you take a wink and just think, what is it? What is it? One just quick example was I realized that um, my husband was used to leadership. He was used to doing meetings with staff people. And I started having him go into his office and I would say, honey, it's time for such and such meeting when I would see him get so agitated and wringing his hands. And one day I just felt, I don't know, I'm just going to try this. And I said, honey, it's time for your meeting. Come on in here. And I sit him down at his desk and I had just papers, just old bills and papers and just things in front of him. And I just like conducted a meeting with him. It calmed him down. Mm -hmm. It calmed him down. That worked for a while. And then it got to where I would just have two or three folders laying around with pieces of paper, some blank, some old bills, some just newspapers, whatever I could find. And I'd say, would you mind looking at this agenda for the meeting and seeing that it's okay? And Tracy, he would sit there for the longest time just shuffling those papers. He would open up the folder and he would just shuffle those papers and be so content, so content. And then when he moved into memory care, you know where he always wanted to be when the nurses were doing their charges of the evenings and the mornings. Shift change. Yes. Yes. Because he thought they were having a meeting and he needed to be there to make sure the meeting was going well. And they, I finally told him what was going on and they gave him a blank binder and he sat there and just listened contently. contently. And that, and you bring up a really good point and kind of the, the thought of going into their world versus trying to bring someone into our world all of the time. You know, you bring up kind of an offshoot of something that someone very smart a really long time ago coined the term therapeutic fibbing. Mm. And some some individuals have a really, really hard time with that, which is understandable. Again, so I think Alzheimer's Tennessee exists. No matter where you are, if you're listening in California, Tennessee, or Timbuktu, our phones don't know where you are. So we don't care. You can you can call us and kind of have someone talk you through that. But going into a person's world, allowing a person to feel they still have a purpose and they're clear about what the purpose is. So obviously we know that they still have a purpose, but you know, someone especially in a leadership position as your husband had been in all of those years, then to go to, I don't want to say nothing, but in a in a way, it's yeah. going from that to that to nothing. So those are all very important things to remember, as well as the bringing someone or someone kind of hanging out at the nurse's station at shift change. That could have an entirely different reaction on another person and have them very anxious, very on edge. But for your husband, it worked perfectly. So a reminder that every person is different. Every person is different. And what works for one person and what's good for one person may not be that for another. That's why it's important to talk your way through. I listen to a lot of different things and I read a lot of different things. And in regard to behavioral expressions, I read this phrase a lot and I'm not knocking anyone who's used it because I myself 
have slipped a couple of times and well, more, maybe more than a couple of times, but I've slipped and I've used it myself and to tell someone not to do something or, you know, don't take it personally or don't, don't do this. Don't get aggravated. They can't help it. Or when maybe a very, again, a very well-intentioned caregiver makes a comment about, well, I, I would love if, if my husband asked me the same question 15 times in a row because he can no longer talk. That is valid. And that thought is valid, but not everyone processes things the same way, right? And so to tell people, when I read professionals and and their documents and they'll say, you know, don't do this and don't do that, I try to never use the word don't. And instead, I say, try not to. (laughs) Try not to. Limit try to limit the number of times we do this or do that because ultimately what is best for them is best for us as well. But again, sometimes the exhaustion and all of those things that come along with it kind of circumvent anything that we could be thinking of otherwise. Also a really good place to throw in I get a lot of calls from families that will have a situation where perhaps their loved one went into the hospital or went to the emergency room for that matter to get assessed. Maybe they have a lingering cough or maybe they're complaining of pain or something to that effect. The hospital-induced delirium is behavioral. Absolutely. There is a very high likelihood that it will cause behavioral expressions to worsen or to begin happening. Maybe it's something they're doing now that they weren't doing prior to that visit. But I will say in many individuals, and I don't have a statistic, I love to throw statistics out, but I don't don't have an actual statistic. But I will say that the majority of people after several weeks to unfortunately several months will go back to what they call baseline. So we may see more confusion or fill in the blank, something there. I know my grandfather-in-law would begin certain requests. I won't go into great detail because I I don't know that the, the family would want me to, but there were certain things that he was having delusions and hallucinations in regard to, and they always seem to worsen. We hear a lot of times urinary tract infections can cause things to worsen, but for him, him, typically it was a buildup of fluid. He also had congestive heart failure. And so many times when he would have a buildup of fluid, if the scale went up in weight, many times his anger over a certain situation would increase or a pneumonia. So we don't always necessarily think about those types of things unless we can see an outward showing of whatever it is. So just another reminder Teresa, I I just now thought of another behavioral expression that sometimes it may not be as mild as your husband jumping up and down or looking through a folder. And we're going to do an episode on it, but it's about wandering Mm -hmm. and they'll go in circles round and round and round. But when they start doing that at nighttime, that behavioral Mm -hmm. expression, Mm -hmm. we just want to make sure that we speak into our caregivers that are listening that when it becomes a safety issue. Yes you might have to look at 
an alternative. Sometimes you can't figure it out. Right, Trace? I, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can, we can sit here all day and we can put things in nice little perfect packages and wrap them up with a bow, but that isn't real life. So no. absolutely. And as I mentioned once, and I'll say it again, that is why our helpline exists. Yes. So individuals can get even if it's just talking it out, safety of the person living with a diagnosis is very important, but safety and the health and well-being of a caregiver, care partner, whatever you identify with at this season of life is equally if not more important, because yeah. you always say, you know, you're caring for two people instead of one, especially those early in the morning, late at night, in the kitchen. I know that's the stereotypical one that a lot of individuals use. The reason it's a stereotype is because it happens a lot. Right. So <laughs> if that's what's happening, a caregiver, care partner's sleep is equally as important. Developing a plan, maybe reaching out, getting some help. I know we talked a couple of times ago about not being ashamed of asking for help. That isn't a surrender. It's not an admission that we're not cut out for doing what we're doing, but it's it's self-preservation is really all it is. And a couple of months ago, I made a comment at a support group. And, you know, sometimes I have a tendency to talk without thinking all the way through. And a person in the group was talking about one of her husband's behavioral expressions. And I made the statement that many times those fights, those behavioral expressions, the things that we that we think are going to happen or the things that are happening are nothing more than the person living with a diagnosis fight for independence and fight for relevance. Sometimes that's all it is. There are folks, especially in early stage, that talking to a therapist, talking to a counselor, participating in our memory cafe programs. We have them in person and online. And again, the beauty of an online program is you can literally be anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to be a resident of Tennessee. So participating in those and on those and getting validation and knowing your relevance and knowing your worth and that coming from multiple multiple places and not just from the hands-on everyday loved one who is serving in both roles. So sometimes that line can get a little blurred. You brought up sundowning. That is probably one of the biggest behavioral expressions that we get asked about or that we talk about. There are medical professionals that will actually specifically diagnose sundowning syndrome. So there are lots of tips and tricks on our website, how to potentially, again, <laughs> using the word potentially, how to potentially diminish those, getting the person involved in something. Dr. Bill Thomas created something called the Eden Alternative. One of the things that Bill Thomas talks about with frequency is boredom. Many times an individual experiencing behavioral expressions or exhibiting behavioral expressions at the very bottom of the mouse chase is bored. And so are there some things that we can do to 
alleviate that, that isn't stretching us already as caregivers. So again, online memory cafe programs, if your area has in-person memory cafe act programs, which is where we come together uh, once or twice a month and do something, we go somewhere or we learn something in regard to topics that are of interest to most people and then kind of go from there. But again, as a caregiver, one thing that we want to make sure that we stress heavily is we can't be on all of the time. We just can't. We we can't. Right. And, you know, Tracy, some things can't be fixed. Right. And so I I like to use the word doable. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to make it doable. And we just want to stress again to the caregivers listening, grace to yourself. Right. You didn't cause this disease. Right. You didn't make it happen, but try to make it as doable for you as you can. Mm -hmm. And we, for the most part, most people want their loved one or their friends to be as comfortable as possible, to be adaptable as possible. But I say that to the caregivers also. Do the same for yourself. And that's where those difficult decisions have to come in and difficult discussions have to come in sometimes because you have to take that initiative to have them. Right. We hope, we hope you can get a few little tidbits by listening to this today. And by no means do we think that 20-ish minutes of talking about something is going to to solve everything or that we will be able to address everything. But it is the beginning of a conversation. And it's a conversation, as I mentioned, that can continue through email, through Alzheimer's Tennessee Helpline, our toll-free number that is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week is one 800 Two five nine four two eight three. We also, again, a lot of people nowadays are able to reach out when they have time. And we know that means sometimes two o'clock in the morning. It means eight o'clock on a Sunday, whenever that may be. So through email, through text messaging, there are many times that we are unable to have a conversation in front of our loved one. And that would not be a a great idea, maybe in the moment. So making sure that we are able to make some time for ourselves is extremely important. I think the other thing that tends to happen quite often are, I mentioned it briefly, with hallucinations and delusions. Obviously, for some types of dementia, they happen a little earlier, some a little later. Again, remember all through this, some never But a delusion is, as we know, as well as a hallucination, both of them are very real to the person, talking them out of it, trying to justify. I know one of the probably most interesting, heartbreaking situations with a family that I worked with probably for about two years. And as you mentioned, sometimes there's no fix. That was absolutely what was happening in this particular case. And she was under the impression that her husband and was leaving the home every evening. I will, again, probably not go into detail about what he was doing while he was out, 
but he was leaving the home every evening to visit women. Well, let's just go ahead and say it. He was leaving the home every evening to visit women, and he was spending all of our money on these women. And the family, prior to getting in touch with Alzheimer's Tennessee, had purchased cameras just to try to prove to her that he wasn't leaving. And of course, anything that they tried to fix or tried to explain, she had a reason for why that wasn't the way that it was. And so in situations like that, we literally tried everything that you can imagine going so far as police officer in the area that they lived in. I had them go and ask them to sit out in front of the house briefly to tell her that if he tried to leave that evening, they would see him. She very quickly got back to me and said, they're men, they're all in on it together. And so it it didn't work. Medication was the only, only thing that worked in that situation. So sometimes having private time with the physician, having something, if that's not possible, writing it down. I know there's a lot of controversy about that, about slipping information back to the doctor prior to an appointment. But the person may not be aware of what is going on. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the five A's of dementia. And one of them is onosognosia. And we just do not know what is going on currently. So, you know, always to think there may be a fix. There may not. But right. in the times that there isn't, that's when medication may be helpful. And I, I'm not a, I'm not a, before anybody gets upset, not a huge pusher of medication. No. So there are just times that it absolutely is appropriate. So another really important thing to remember is there are some types of dementia that do not necessarily affect memory. They affect behavior first. So that's a really hard one for a lot of people to comprehend, because if a person is capable of doing X, Y, Z, but they're still very well, I might add, but they are still thinking certain things are real that are not, then that doesn't always look like dementia. I think that a lot of folks have got it in their mind that dementia always means memory loss. And that absolutely is not accurate. So just another little reminder that not all dementias are the same. Not that we necessarily need that reminder, but just a reminder. Since we cannot necessarily always change the course of what's happening, to realize that this disease, the disease, the dementia umbrella, those conditions are always moving forward. So something that is a challenge or that a person is struggling with today may not be the same tomorrow. It may not be the same the next day. It may come back a month from now, but it's going to constantly change and meld into something different. So just getting a system that we are able to make it through is extremely important. So I want to absolutely make sure to throw out one more time having a connection with someone, whether that be Alzheimer's Tennessee or someone where you live, that you can be open and honest with, that you don't have the fear or the concern of being judged or that whatever you're getting ready to share is so horrible and terrible that you just can't voice it. And I I guarantee you both of us can. That's not the case. Right. And you know, Trace, sometimes 
it's a doable moment. Sometimes, sometimes it's a doable day. Sometimes it's a doable season. And again, that's why we want to encourage people, right? Because yes. um, I, I just so am grateful for what you said. Make a connection. Make a connection. You are not alone. You are absolutely correct. That is one of the mottos that we live by at Alzheimer's Tennessee. A person is not alone. They just have to make the first step to make a connection. We realize today that we have, it's been like a potpourri of a podcast. We've hit, we've missed, we've jumped from here to there, maybe like two little squirrels. Behavioral expression is, it's a lot. It's a lot. We just wanted just to maybe give you some comfort again, that if you find someone, a community, a physician's office, another family member, another friend, someone that has been on this journey before, or like what Tracy mentioned, someone that you can trust and say, you'll never believe what I'm experiencing. I just never thought I would be walking through this. And you can share what you're walking through with that individual. There will be no judgment. There will be only grace. You will only be met by grace. We say reach out. And again, some of these things that we've just hit do require some difficult decisions and discussions to be had by you or your physician or a family member, a friend. But we just want to encourage you to do that for yourself as the caregiver. Give yourself grace, be encouraged, and again, know that Dementia Caregivers Community, we care about you. On the website, you can find so much information on where to reach out, where to get some assistance, just someone to listen to you. Find someone in your area, and please know that Tracy and I, we care about you. And we think you're doing a great job. Thank you for listening today. You can learn more about the podcast at alztennessee.org slash podcast. Please review us on your podcast player. It helps other caregivers find the community. And please join us for the next episode.